The only refugee families in that tiny town in the Netherlands. She rejected her Cambodian identity for most of her life and came to Australia on exchange three years ago. And it wasn't until one day when she found out what had happened in Cambodia and started to understand her family history that she embraced her Cambodian identity. Now she's making a documentary about the refugee camp her parents met in Kaoidong, which is the same place her brother was born. And Sambo Lee Patol is her name, Sam for short, or Sambo for medium. And she's yeah. bought a bunch of sweet tunes from countries that make up her identity on the show yeah. today. Thanks Woo. for the intro, man. <laughs> a mouthful. Yeah. I, I crafted it with love. Beautiful. <laughs> love it. So can you give us a bit of like a preface of the kind of tracks we'll be hearing over the next hour? Um, It's a variety of genres from like like Dutch techno, pure Dutch techno, to folky Cambodian songs, um, some bossa nova from Brazil, anything that you... Yeah, it's pretty good. All across the globe. And uh, we've got a track to start off with from Cambodia, I believe. Which What's this all about for you? Uh, this track is called Sra Moi Gao, which uh, literally means one glass of wine. And the song is by Rosare Sotia. She is one of the most famous singers in Cambodia that was active in the 60s and 70s. Um, and, yeah, this song has a special meaning to me because my grandmother had heard this song in the cinema, and I've never really known my grandmother because of what happened in Cambodia. There was a communist regime and a genocide, so I'd never gotten to know my grandmother. And my mother had heard this song in the refugee camps while she was a teenager listening to the radio, so she has never seen the actual film. And I don't think that actual film is there and I get to hear it through YouTube so that's three generations of tolls listening to Sramoika by Rosare Sutia
some interesting flavours on your radio today on FBR 94.5. Something that we wouldn't have heard on the station ever before, that's for sure. And um, what kind of, what, what era is this from? So this song is from the 60s and 70s in Cambodia. And that time was very, very interesting, culturally, artistically, even economically, um, and even politically, because it was the first time that Cambodia ever had a democracy. And um, that was... Uh, straight after the independence from France and just before the civil war. So there was this like really interesting period of beautiful music, Western-infused Cambodian music, and um, heaps of films were made by Cambodian local producers and directors. So I want to plug two documentaries if I can. <laughs> so there's sure. one, one documentary that's uh, premiering at uh, the Australian, oh, at Melbourne Film Festival. So that's the Australian premiere. Mm-hmm. And that's called Don't Think I've Forgotten. And that's about that specific time. So and about the time when, when culture in Cambodia was yeah. going off the chain. So that's before the war then? That's before the war. Okay. So 60s and 70s. And um, that's just about the music. And then there's another documentary that came out in 2013 and mm-hmm. also uh, screened here at the Sydney Film Festival, which is called Golden Slumbers by a French-Cambodian filmmaker who um, his grandfather was one of the producers. And he, he didn't know about his grandfather and his legacy. And that is part of this interesting sort of, um, I guess, identity crisis that second-generation Cambodians have around the world and even in Cambodia that we don't really know where we come from. So I'm plugging this music like, oh, yeah, I've heard this music forever and ever, but actually I don't know. I just discovered this about a year ago. And the reason that um, that we don't know is because um, our parents stopped talking about everything. So they've stopped talking about... Uh, or they never even started talking about the Khmer Rouge that time. So mm-hmm. there was a communist regime in the 70s that killed all um, intellects, all artists. So is that why this kind, of, this kind of music that you've brought in, some of the music you've brought in today, is kind of, it's been wiped out for so long yeah. and now you're only just rediscovering it. Yeah. How do they actually go about rediscovering the music that had been wiped out? Because obviously, you know, the intelligentsia is not only just like smart people and doctors, it's also artists. Yeah, so there are a couple of individuals around and there's this one guy, I forgot his name, but he lives in Cambodia and what he does is he goes out to rural countryside people and asks them, because there are only a few that have like a final from that time, because you can you you didn't have anything from the Khmer Rouge time. We lost all also photographs. records. Yeah. yeah, records. Sorry, records. And um, 
and he asks these people in the rural countryside whether they, he can just borrow their 45s, their 12 inches, and take them back and do like a uh, like a HD recording of it. But most people are like, no, they're guarding it with their entire lives because when people take away things from them, it reminds them of that specific period. So now, it's just now after 40 years of having no odds, nothing at all, this entire void that people are reminiscing of an in really in like inspiring time and also recreating music in Cambodia and overseas. So that's pretty cool. Amazing. Oh. Um, you've got another track in today that's from that time. Um, I'm really looking forward to playing this because you showed me before and it's just it's just Your one of the most song. incredible songs. I have it in my head right now, have, it, have had in my head for the past week. And it's called Blue Basket. So what's the story behind this song? I think the story, but I'm not sure because... Um, lyrics in like Cambodian songs are very formal there's a really big sort of language gap between informal and formal but I think the song is about a guy who has lost his love and he is praying to the blue basket because he is putting in fruits uh, for the spirits up above and ask them whether they can help him to find his love again right hectic <laughs>
94.5. An incredible track called Blue Baskets, Khmer folk song brought in by my guest today, who is Cambodian. Grew up in the Netherlands, though. Her name's Sambalip Toll, and she she grew up kind of not really associating herself with her Cambodianness because when you grow up in the Netherlands, I guess there, there wouldn't be many many Cambodian families around you. Was that the case? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think all across the Netherlands were only about 500 Cambodians. And whereas, for instance, Sydney alone, there are about 2,000 families. And uh, it was Dutch government policy to decentralize us and put us in small cities. So there was it was really hard to okay. sort of um, create a central point where there's an organization or a temple. So. Okay, so was that probably like a strategic thing where if you spread out refugees then they won't actually be able to kind of have a community yeah which is idiotic yeah that sounds like a bit of a harsh policy <laughs> so in your town was it a quite a small town what was it called it was called Rosendal and it was quite a small town but the cool thing is is that it was close to a really cool artsy Belgian city called Antwerp yes and uh, the next song that we're going to play is from a guy who actually moved to Antwerp but he's from London he's his name is Mala. Um, yeah, we'll play that yeah, in we'll a second. In but a I sec. definitely want to know a bit more about what it's like. I mean, you're, you're second generation Cambodian, so your parents were met and married in this refugee camp. Your brother was born there. What's it like to be in a family where you're, you never experienced a refugee camp, but you're, you're growing up in a refugee family? Um, I think, interestingly, all these experiences that they have had are transferred to you in some sort of mysterious way. Um, the interesting thing about that the Co- Cambodian generations is that we don't talk about anything, uh, which is which might be just a symptom after war, so post-war sort of silence. Um, but despite the fact that I had I literally did not know what was ha- what had happened to my parents and what was happening to me at the time, I knew that there was something wrong, very 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 wrong. How can you grow up not knowing anything about what happened in Cambodia? I mean, how long did it take you to actually find out about your family history? 20 years. 20 years? Yeah, 20, 20 years, I think, yeah. I knew um, it's easy not to talk about it because um, at uh, like at that time when I was growing up, there were a lot of sort of uh, other groups of people dictating what it was, what it meant to be Cambodian, including history. So when you look at a cultural identity, it includes cultural history, it includes cultural values and how other people see you. Cultural identity is basically based on exclusion and inclusion. So this is one cultural identity because it's not the other one. So um, at that time, there were 
for instance, groups that would say, oh, you're not Cambodian because you're doing this. Oh, they're not Cambodian because you're doing that. So it's other people dictating what you're supposed to That's interesting. So, like, what what was un-Cambodian? Like, what were you told made you un-Cambodian? There were groups of narrow-minded kids who said if you hang out with white people, then you're not Cambodian. Mm. Um, Elderly that would say, oh, if you are going out and you're dating boys, then you're not a proper Cambodian girl. Um, and then there are Dutch people saying, you're not Dutch because you're Cambodian, which is, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a pretty retarded. So you, you, so the point is, is that uh, there is all this negativity around being Cambodian as a cultural identity, but also there are negative associations with it because you live in fear, you live in poverty, you live, um, yeah, with transgenerational trauma without you even knowing you live in silence and, that all together makes it very hard to be Cambodian. And you wonder, you know, why would I want to be more Cambodian if being Cambodian already is pretty hard? So, and then there's a different problem, is the accessibility to um, sort of formal education that gives you that weight against all these negative associations. So when I think of cultural identity, I think formal education about history and culture and values and positive associations like arts and music and dance, you need that. But if there is no organization that actually brings you that, then there is no positive association possible. And back in the Netherlands, the community was so small, so there was nothing like a Cambodian school organization that would help Cambodian kids or their parents with their cultural sensitive issues I guess guess that's really interesting because I I think when I was much much younger I would kind of be like well Australia we say we're multicultural but we have lots of little suburbs that are dedicated to to certain you know national groups or racial groups and I was like is that really multiculturalism if if it's you know so pocketed off but I guess it, it does make sense in that sense that you know it would be actually a really good thing for cultures to have a, a concentrated center. Yeah, but mainly because they can address issues that are very culturally specific um, that can, and if when they do that, they can really enhance harmony within that community. So, I mean, uh, let's say, for instance, the Vietnamese and the Cambodians, we experienced the genocide. Vietnamese experienced a totally different war, but you cannot just put them in one club and say, hey man, this is the lesson that we're going to teach you today and you're just going to have to take it away and take it home um so but the main thing is is that when these cultural issues are addressed and in a well manner then harmony exists within the family structure and also then passes on to the kids that can then live happily ever after in australia and become like fully proud australian both australian and cambodian or whatever they are so you have a hybrid cultural identity rather than uh, having to choose one in a melting pot or something. Yes. Yeah. Nice. We've got a track to take right now, and that's from a few years ago for you. How did you come across this one? Mala. Um, yeah, I went to Belgium. This is a party sort of story. <laughs> <laughs> bit of a change of Bit of a change. <laughs> uh, I really like Detroit techno uh, and Dutch techno, just electronic music in general, and Theo Parish was co- uh, coming to Ghent, which is a cool artsy town in... Uh, Belgium. I love when you just sw- switched to Dutch all of yeah. a sudden. It's so hectic. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, so in Ghent there was uh, Theo Parish and Floating Points was playing. And we, me and my best friend went there. It was uh, an amazing night. But about like four in the morning, Floating Points was still playing really soulful sort of Detroit um, tunes. And 
then all of a sudden played this song and i was like a huge lisa keys fan when i was younger <laughs> when i was like 10 or something we yeah weren't we all and this is a remix from an alicia keys song from her second album by a guy called mala who makes really cool dubstep kind of music and he recently went to cuba and made a really cool album so you really should check him out yeah you listen to out of the box on fbi 94.5 
on FBI 94.5. Some really smooth tunes for your lunchtime. <laughs> Listening to Out of the Box. And this track was brought in by my guest today, Sambo Liaptol. Thank you. Otherwise known as Sambo or Sam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah correct. And the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show today is because you've taught me just through meeting you like so much about Cambodia that I had no idea about. Mm. I mean, you know there was generally a war and that's about... That's about all I knew. And I wanted to kind of understand a little bit more about Cambodian culture because to me, I, I don't even know what it is. And is that kind of like, is there a reason for that? Is there a reason that we don't know a lot about Cambodian culture? I think Cambodians themselves don't know much about Cambodian culture unless it's very like from ancient times, like what you see in Angkor Wat from like 500 until like 1500s. Um, but that is extremely far back. Um why is like that? A, um, yeah, well, like I said before, there's this extreme void of having no arts, and that was because of the civil wars. So the civil war started in this like seventies, and then up until the nineties, we were still either having wars or recovering from that period. So entire generations, two generations, um, have. Uh, like less associations with arts than we had before and also for instance cuisine there are two generations that went through just rice rice and fermented radish and dried fish to survive because that was Khmer Rouge food and also refugee food so and also all these documents and everything that was recorded everything that's arts related was destroyed so there's this big both there's a big void in information, but there's also experience-wise a really mm. sort of yeah m- minimal experience. It's yeah. really interesting about the food though, because I know someone who's a food writer has gone to Cambodia recently, and he he's got a kind of blog going, and he's been traveling around writing really in-depth things. And as soon as he gets cam- to Cambodia, he's like, well, "What even is Cambodian cuisine? I've been trying to figure out for ages, and I just can't pick it." I think yeah. it's um, a very subtle flavor, like subtle layers of flavors um it's based on the river that we have in cambodia and um so lots of lemongrass capri lime leaves uh what else yeah turmeric and delish yeah it's very very (laughs) good but uh, it's cool because we have for instance we have a soup called um the pineapple soup which is sour and sweet and salty at the same time but it ends when enters your like taste buds it's it comes in like certain order which is really really good so i think it's in the subtlety it's not very harsh flavor it's not very hot it's not very curry based like the thai or very like extremely freshy like the vietnamese cuisine but mm-hmm. cambodian is very subtle it's cool nice so I wonder, what is cambodia like today like what is the culture in cambodia like today now that you've kind of you know come back Oh, it's amazing. It's like Phnom Penh is literally my favorite city in the world. Maybe because I'm Cambodian, but... um, (laughs) It's fun to be biased. Yeah, it's fun to be biased. Um, It's one of the most vibrant cities I've ever been to. Everyone is outside and everyone's young. So 50% of the Cambodian population is around my age, 25, 26. And everyone's super, super, super eager to try and do stuff. So six years ago, you'd go to Cambodia. Nobody would speak English. Now everyone speaks English. People are like very happy to engage with Westerners. So they're creating new music, new films, etc. Just similar to like what happened in the 60s and 70s. So there's this new uh, cultural revolution going on. 
in Cambodia just because of the young people who have uh, experiences post-traumatically, like post-war, but not necessarily have endured the Khmer Rouge regime. So they are the new ones. And they're doing it overseas and they're doing it in Cambodia as well. They're becoming conscious of who they are and where they come from and they're really trying to get that back. So it kind of sounds like you're part of that wave of, of young Cambodians who's kind of reclaimed their identity and is trying to, like, I guess, nourish it back to, to health and to prevalence. Um, you're making a documentary at the moment. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what that's going to be like? Yeah, yeah, I definitely, that's the cool thing. I really feel like I'm part of this movement. And well, for 20 years, I didn't feel part of anything. But now I actually <laughs> feel part of this movement, which is really important to so many Cambodians around the world. And we are only at the mere beginnings of this, like, bringing in this consciousness uh, to first and second generation Cambodians. Um, yeah, my documentary is about the biggest refugee camp that ever existed in Thailand and it's the only camp that would send out Cambodians to third countries so Australia, uh, France, Canada, America all these Cambodians that are there went through that camp and had spent at least half a year there and my parents spent about four years there and got married there etc and um, this documentary falls a young Cambodian Dutch illustrator um, who was born there and he was two when he left to the Netherlands um, in trying to visualize what it was like his first two years there and what general life was like in that camp. So about 160,000 people went through that camp and there are very conflicting feelings. Um, sometimes it was, for some people, it was very safe because after Khmer Rouge, everything is pretty safe. Um, but for other people, it wasn't. It felt like, um, you know, another camp again because there were barbed wires and like Thai soldiers could come in rape your wife and kids and um yes people would get shot and stuff like that it's pretty so it's very, yeah it's pretty cool i think we've got a couple of tracks to take now and we'll come and talk about your documentary in a second i've got so much i want to ask but at the moment we've got a track by was it stan Getz? yeah all right yeah what's it called uh it's called <laughs> sadada yeah it's got a hard name oh it's a i Brazilian... was hoping you'd be able to help me sorry mate <laughs> It's an emergency. Um, so, Swadad Zem Kurado. Yes. And what's the story behind this one? Uh, the song is um, uh, is made. Oh, well, it was sampled by Jay Dilla, who is like my favorite producer in the entire world, which is ridiculous. I'm such a big fan, or I was such a big fan when I was younger, and um, and he. Uh, uh, produced this for a band called The Far Side, which is a uh, rap band from America. Yeah, and they created a song called Runnin'. So Runnin' is my favorite song in the world, but I really like this song too because it's a really cool bossa nova track. Thank you. 
amor chegar Se a saudade vem correndo É só para se mostrar Sempre há tempo para amar Quando um bem você achar E então você vai ver Você vai ver e vai voltar E então você vai ver Você vai ver e vai voltar Fuck, perfect timing, I gotta stay fitted with my bald head shining So right up to Philly, it's time to get lifted I'm only 20-something and my fucking brain is twisted I only smoke Phillies, I never smoke the Lucy I never cop the kick tape, only fuck with Brucey Niggas wanna get with this uptown commuter Calling me ahead cause I smoke mad Buddha Got ass in the line from the hills to the harbor Gotta keep a low when I roll to the barber Red bone of chocolate, a hooker is a hooker I'm taking red lights if the bitch is a booger I'm doing 55 in the 25 lane I made a few ends, now mad hoes know my name It goes on and on, don't stop with the flow Minnesota, let me hear you blow
can a nigga get on? Pop pretty yellow, good, but the cash is gone. I'm from uptown. We got style and game. Lifting bikes for blocks and bitches doing their thing. I'm like the Nero. Here's a Bronx tale for your ass, plain and simple. You gotta get the cash, then ass motivated. I'm black, got my peeps at that. A pair of Tim's and some peps and my NY caps. What you doing? I stepped in a club, the shit was moving. Got a run in my ear, but like Levert, I'm just cooling. See, don't pop the Philly. Tonight I feel really got Louie, nigga. So fuck it, dump the 20. Big R, baby. I bag bitches so poor cool, with your bagger. I keep packing my blicker just for the backstabber. I get more lava than a play on Broadway. I flip like fish if I catch your body in broad day. My Negroes never no punks and no bimbos. I smoke mad brunch and then I'm off the jimbos. Huh. I take a style similar to karate. Bitches ain't shit so I'ma slide with your body. On the down low with the black shuckers Put a fifth in the pics and bitch up at Ruckers Slides in my crib and I'm low with the smoke sack Nigga, your hips on issue Then I'ma let you know black No time for your mind So keep this shit focused uptown Boogie down the bad boy but not the dope See you baby a good time yeah so those tracks just there were brought in by my guest today sam toll sambo leap toll thanks on fear 94.5 and i got a text from the text line from simon asking about the chilled song that we played before and it's called alicia by marla another one brought in by my guest today and any of the tracks if you're wondering you can find them on fbiradio.com under the programs and playlist tab so this is out of the box and we list all of the tracks that we play so you can relive all the good times on the interwebs once the show is over and also yeah always on out uh sorry what's it called what's the thing on demand yeah so you can listen back to the show <laughs> There we go, brain fart. And can you tell us a bit about the tracks that we just heard then? Uh, yeah, so what you just heard was Money Boss Players, and the song was called What You Saying. And I picked the song because um, it was given to me by a friend who introduced me to rap music, and rap music came in my life when I was a teenager. Um, but he's not here anymore, so I dedicate this song to him. And this song is really cool because um, it uses this fifth dimension sample very well and very subtly and Fifth Dimension is a group from the 60s that has been sampled to death in rap music and this was a fresh 
I don't know. For me, it's a fresh take. Maybe for other people, it sounds similar. And uh, also, this song was um, released on an EP that was only uh, pressed about 11 times. So for 11 all, times? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you bother? I don't know, man. <laughs> so for all these like rap purists out there, it's like this massive jam that people uh, really go after. And when it, when it goes on eBay, it goes for like $1,000 and stuff like that. Wow, hectic. Yeah. And the other track that we played was from Stan Getz. Yeah. Is, is there any reason that you wanted to play that one? Uh, mainly because it's the sample of my favorite song, which is oh, Running good. by yeah. Farside. Gotcha. So, yeah. And you went to a, you were talking about Jay Dilla before. You went to a Jay, Jay Dilla concert when you were younger. How, how hard was it to get your, your dad to let you go? Well, it was, I was about 14 and um, I thought... Jay Dilla had just passed away, actually. And so it was his group that from Detroit that he used to be in um, that was touring in Europe. And I, as a massive, like, super awesome Jay Dilla fan, I was begging my parents to go. And my dad was like, no, you can't go to a rap concert. Are you crazy? And he's also very strict and very traditional. Plus, I was 14. Who lets that kid go to a rap concert anyway? And... Um, <laughs> But I dragged him along, and he was standing in the back of the concert. like a, Poor dad. Yeah, poor dad. And me, I was standing in front as a 14-year-old. Um, but they were all playing J. Dilla anthems, so all the songs that they used to do together, and that was literally the best concert I've ever been to. It was really cool. Yeah. Hectic. And part of the reason I wanted you on the show today is talk about your documentary that you're currently trying to make. Mm. I kind of, it's, it sounds like a bit of an undertaking because it's a documentary about a refugee camp that no longer exists. Yeah. How, if you, can't, if you can't shoot any of the space, like how do you find out about how this refugee camp worked if it's kind of no longer existing? Yeah, um, what we do is we go into the Cambodian-Australian community and talk to the elderly people that either have played a role there or like vividly remember that time. Uh, we talk to people from different generations so uh, kids that only have one memory to people that were leaders from of like a commune of 10,000 people um but well it's an interesting thing to share I think is that so we speak to these people in Cambodian and um so there's nothing like a language barrier between them and us but for some reason we're not able to visualize um what they're speaking about in in their experiences, even though when we ask them to actually visualize what you see, da, 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 um, they tell us, but we still find it hard to connect. And what we've experienced, like literally last week, we came up to the conclusion that um, people from, even though we're the same culture, they, because of their s different experiences, they use um, different reference points um, to tell a story. So let's say we tell a story about going to... Um, uh, I guess a place that's very dangerous. If a, if a person is very used to uh, a very dangerous place, then he he or she will say, "Oh, I just went to the store." But for us, we come from a safe place. Going to a very dangerous place, we will talk about how dangerous it was. So they keep on forgetting all these elements that are very important to us. So what we're trying to do is now we contextualize, and uh, yeah, and then in order to that, we're making illustrations. So you need like a like cultural that. translation as mm. well as an actual linguistic translation. Exactly, it's very interesting. Hectic. So this a lot of the documentary that you're making is going to be illustrated. Yep. How how are you going to try and do that? Do you have a particular artist in mind? Yeah. So I have Jirtis Geo from the Netherlands. He's an illustrator and usually works um, not digitally but um, like analog. Analogly. <laughs> Whoa. With a pen. With an actual pen. <laughs> um, yeah. And so the whole documentary is actually just following him in his process, trying to recreate um, 
and visualizing that specific time and place. So the whole documentary is about illustrations and it's showing his illustrations. Um, yeah. Okay, so it's like a sort of illustration meets memory documentary. Yeah, exactly. Hectic. And we got another track to take now, Antenna. A bit more techno for yeah. the for the day. All right. And tell us a bit about this one. Okay, so uh, Antenna is a duo, a Ukrainian Dutch guy and his Dutch girlfriend, Aileen. I think his name is Rankos. Um, they're from a label called Nun Records, and uh, my best friend's brother is an artist called Bombom, who also makes cool sort of electronic music. Um, and we used to go to their nights because they had like uh, a monthly night in it's the like Melbourne. a big club night? Yeah, it was a big club night. And um, yeah, when we were younger, we used to go there and get uh, stupidly drunk. But the cool thing was, it was very magical. I'd never been to a night like that before. Whenever we would go there, we would dance for a couple of hours and then suddenly automatically close our eyes. And we would dance, having our eyes closed for the next couple of hours. And after that, we were like shaking each other, saying, hey man, open your eyes. This is not normal. We have to open our <laughs> eyes. And it would happen every, every time. So if you're ever in Amsterdam, go to a non-record site because it's really, really, really cool. And FBN 94.5, get some antenna on your radio.
bucks on FBI. Of wild ones in there on FBI 94.5. Brought in by my guest today, Sambo Liptol, who is currently making a documentary about a refugee camp that her parents and her brother were in in Thailand, Cambodian refugees. And she she came to Australia three years ago and has been started and then like started being part of the community and making this documentary. And now she's been on the radio today with me, playing lots of really diverse tracks. And I was wondering, with music, what kind of makes you tick? 
Um, I guess it needs to push the boundaries. I think any sort of um, art form needs to sort of push it. So, uh, yeah, it needs to feel adventurous. The artist needs to push all conventions of that specific genre. And I think with that Bablé song... It's the Bablé so song was the one that was just played just then. Oh, so hypnotizing. Yeah. Yeah, it's so hypnotizing. I like it when songs, I, I'm probably just a feeling thing or something, but when songs do their thing, so, you know, they play uh, they you know play the rhythm and stuff, but all of a sudden you forget that it's a song and you just get into it and it just hypnotizes you. That's when you know it's a good song. That's when you know it's a good film. That's it. And so I've never really heard any music like that bubble song. So what is what is that genre? Uh, the genre, I think it's called Coupe de Cale, and it's from the Ivory Coast. There's a little bit of a story behind that. I'm not really too sure about if I'm saying this correctly. I think um, the Parisian Ivorian diaspora took the this particular like uh, genre to Paris. And there was a, like, a DJ duo called... DJ said or something, Jet yeah, said, yeah. and they went into the clubs with like heaps of cash and started just hanging out cash money, <laughs> and <laughs> along with this music, uh, type of music. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Um, they just walks up to the club, throwing heaps of cash on everyone, and that's just their shtick. Yeah, that's of course, it. it was a successful club night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so what? What does coupe de cal kind of mean? Uh, coupe means to cheat, and de cali means to run away. So it's sort of uh, I think it's a reference, according to Wikipedia, it's a reference to cheating sort of the government, cheating the police, cheating any sort of institute and just running away. So yeah, Just like an man. F the man kind of vibe. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Hectic. And the track before that was Antenna Conform. Yep. And we've got one more track today. And I'm wondering, um, why, did you, why did you want to bring this track on the radio today? Um, this track is called... We mourn a lie, which means 10,000 sorrows. Uh, it's a Cambodian song again by um, Sin Sisamuth, who was like the Elvis Presley of Cambodia. Everyone loved him and Rosaristi. That's the first singer that we uh, played. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like this track because I grew up with that song in like bad karaoke version. And then <laughs> I reheard like heard it again about a year ago. Um, and then recently I started working for um, uh, a film, an Australian-Cambodian film called Ruin. It premiered, uh, the Australian premiere was at the Sydney Film Festival. And it's made by Emil Corton Wilson and Michael Cody, a Melbourne and Sydney director. And um, there's a scene in that film, it's a really dark, beautifully created authentic film. And there's a scene where the fish, the old fisherman gets on the boat with the two protagonists and he starts humming and singing this song and they drift off into darkness. And interestingly, I showed uh, my director the song, oh, played him the song and he didn't know that it was this song because he just asked the old fisherman, can you just hum a song? And it's actually this. So it was all improv. Yeah, totally. Well, this is the last track of the day and Hey, next you're going to have Beth coming in to play some delicious tunes for your lunch and it's her birthday, so maybe send in some sweet as texts to 0409-945-945 wish her a happy one. And uh, today it's been my pleasure to have Sambuli Toll on the show, our last track, Sin Sisamuth, 
is going to be on in a second. And if you want to hear any of the other tracks that we play today, you can check us out on On Demand or you can look on the FBI website under the programs and playlists and they're all listed there. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you Thanks so, so much. Thanks so much, Sambo. All right, it's up. I'm going to re-cue the track. Here we go. Through their music. With Ash Bertabez on FBI.